0: School's back, and this morning we take a look at what's on Education Minister Erica Stanford's giant lesson planner. National campaigned on teaching the basics brilliantly, as they dubbed it, and one of the central planks of that policy was an hour each of reading, writing and maths for all primary and intermediate age children. That's now in play, having kicked in at the start of the term, and will also uh, include two assessments per year of how students are doing in years three to eight, with clear reporting to parents. The government's also set a goal of getting 80% of Year 8 students or above, uh, at or above the expected level for their age in reading, writing, maths and science. And it also wants to see students back in the top 10 for those subjects in the international PISA rankings where New Zealand's been on the slide for some years now compared to other countries. Education Minister Eric Stanford, good morning. Thanks very much for your time. Good morning, how are you? Good, thanks. Let's work through some of this. You're introducing an hour of reading, writing and maths from years starting to year eight. How will it work in the classroom?
1: What we've found is that many schools have come back to us already and said, look, we already do that. You know, thanks very much, Minister, but you know, we're already doing that. We wanted to make sure, though, that there was consistency across the sector because what we've learned is that uh, you know, through, the, for example, the Rural Society Maths Report in 2021, that there are uh, you know, a number of teachers who are scheduling mathematics less often and students aren't getting hour a day. So we wanted to make sure, given that evidence and other evidence, that we were making it consistent across the country. So, look, what we've said uh, to schools is that we expect across the school day uh, not just in English and in maths, but across the school day and other subjects as well that we expect an hour of reading, writing uh, and maths throughout the day, throughout different subjects as well. And what we've done is we've provided schools through the ministry with templates and guides and we will give them ongoing support and guidance on, on how to do that. Uh, and, and and we'll have Aero, uh to make sure that that, that is happening. Um, and you look we're not expecting you know a five year old who's brand new to school to sit down and do an hour of maths that of course is not our intention but you know I've seen some amazing things going in school, into schools where I see the little wee ones turning up in the morning and there's a whole lot of shapes and colours games that are out and they'll sit down before class and start you know, playing around with shapes and colours which of course is mathematics and you know and there's games and activities and you can do maths and, and music um, you know so there's so many opportunities and, and we just want to make sure though that it is consistent across the country to give our kids the best start
0: So they're already doing that they would argue, it's already built into into the, the school day. The question is, are they now going to face a whole lot of accountability for how that adds up and where it happens and when?
1: No, look, the purpose is not for us to be, uh, you know, overly monitor this and, and be in classrooms with, with, with checkboards making sure that, that it's being done. We will get Aero to monitor it. Um, but it really is sending a signal to schools and to parents that this is what we expect. You know, what I, I don't want to hear is from October through to the end of the year, oh, well, it's the end of the year and we're doing this and we're doing that and then there's this sports day and there's this and there's that. And, and by the time we've finished it, we will, well, maths was done twice a week uh, this week. We have to have a laser focus on this and and you and I both know the reasons why. We've got it it kids has who are to turning be structured. Yeah, who aren't able to do you know literacy and numeracy to a, a level that allows them to operate, you know, in a job and in society. So what, there are high what, stakes here.
0: What's what's tricky though is that there's an element of the teaching of this, and you are arguing this already, that needs to be more structured than it has been, particularly with reading and with mathematical concepts. And now we're hearing that actually what the sector says it's already doing, which is sort of blending the concepts or the practice throughout the curriculum, we're hearing that you're saying, OK, that probably is doing it in many cases.
1: Well, we said that right from the beginning. It's not we're saying it now. All right. And hang on. And when, we, when we announced this policy, We said, look, uh, we know that at different year levels, different periods of time are more suitable. So you might be doing an hour of mathematics in year seven and eight, but in year five you might be doing 20-minute blocks, uh, and you might be playing a game later, and then you might be doing some shapes. We understand that, but it must be happening, it must be intentional, and it must be explicit. And this is just part of a, a a puzzle, right? This is just one piece of the puzzle, because now we're also introducing structured literacy to add you know, a structured, explicit way of teaching that literacy. And then we will very soon start looking at mathematics and how we work on a, a, a mastery approach to mathematics and a structured, uh, explicit way of teaching maths as well. So this is just the first step.
0: So in your view, has the way that mathematics and reading been taught for the last, well, goodness, however many years now has it got it wrong, and are you deliberately returning to more structured teaching processes in both cases? Yes. And how quickly? I and and ha-
1: how quickly? I, I ask this well, because I,
0: when I talk to the mm. teachers of the teachers, they some of them are in shock at the mathematical and science competence and confidence, in particular, of those going to teaching classrooms. Mm. The former national government, previous national government, got rid of the school advisory service that used to go around and help you with your teaching of maths, your teaching of science, your teaching of whatever. How are you going to upskill the teachers who do not know these systems um, and some of whom probably still don't believe that that is the right way to go about things?
1: Look, agree. There are many issues you brought up here. And the first is that we have an amazing, talented workforce who are out there doing their very best and they want the very best for our kids. And, you know, we all know that the most important thing for educational achievement is the quality of the teacher. And the system has been letting them down. So you mentioned that they are, you know, not feeling prepared and confident for mathematics initial teacher education is not preparing them for that so we've got a big work program in initial teacher education as well to make sure that we are supporting our our, our teachers who are heading into classrooms to make sure that they do feel can confident can we start with that supported. let's
0: start at the beginning you said the thing mm-hmm. that every leading academic in this area will say you could be sitting in the middle of a Hey, or sitting in the middle of a field somewhere, and yeah. the one thing that will make the biggest difference to children's education is the quality of the teaching, uh, teacher and teaching. Um, so let's start at what has happened to their initial teaching and their preparation to teach. They sometimes get a matter of hours in some of these specialist subjects now. Do you believe that the restructuring of the system with the education now centred pretty much solely in universities has gone too far?
1: Well, those are questions we're asking ourselves at the moment because there are some uh, there are some pockets of excellence. So, when I look at the Christchurch School of Education, a graduate school of education, for example, they are widely known as one of the best providers um, because of the, the different way that they that they are preparing their their teachers. So, we are now looking, and there are there is a whole lot of. of the the private sector already coming up and solving the problems and and the sector solving its own problems. So we are looking at what's working and which teachers are being uh, prepared uh, the best and how do we emulate that. But look, there, there are many moving parts to this and it starts right back at the NELPS, so the National Education Learning Priorities, because they set the direction. They inform the Teaching Council on the teaching standards that teachers have to meet. And then that all flows backwards into, well, what do we teach at our universities? So there, are, it's not just the universities, but it's also the, the guidance they're given from the NELPs and the teacher registration, the teacher guidelines. So there are many moving parts to this that we that we need to take a look at, and we will be we will be rewriting the NELPs, and we will be taking working with the Teaching Council to make sure that our our universities and our ITE providers are actually. Uh, meeting the, the requirements of you know what initial uh, initial teacher education is supposed to be and what what we need to provide our initial teacher teachers with.
0: Do you believe there is a case to bring the school advisors back, specialists in subject areas who get around, get in the classroom. They're not just there, as you say, with a tick box at the end of the room. They're there helping them with resources and with teaching capability.
1: Well, that in part has already started to happen and uh, through the curriculum centre. So we have uh, curriculum experts uh, who are based there who would do exactly that.
0: But they're just sending and you something I digitally, think, aren't they? They're not tuning up and being there alongside you. And,
1: well, you know. my expectation is that that's what they will be doing, and I want to build that cap- cap- capacity back. My view is that they are an excellent resource for schools. Uh, and we need to shift back to having those curriculum experts uh, providing support and resource to schools, absolutely.
0: This, this is the next question. It all takes resource at a time where your finance minister is saying take 6.5% off everything. It all takes resource. And, and the other thing that the sector will say about teaching the basics is that so much of a teacher's time, and you know this, is spent essentially either being a social worker or needing to deal with a raft of issues um, surrounding individuals in their classroom as a whole and also there will be in any class children with with high needs or particular needs how are they going to be part of you know the hour a day how how is this going to be individualized and attained with resources as they stand now
1: Right, there was lots, lots in that question slash comment. It was, it was starting right <laughs> back. That's <laughs> right. You get the, the odd the, comment. I, I, have them coming straight from okay. the sector.
0: I bet you do too.
1: Yeah, look, I absolutely do. And look, it, it, and I know. And I said, to, I was in Gisborne just uh, on Wednesday, talking to te- a bunch of teachers um, at Kaiti School, and I said to them, "I know your job." is so much more than it used to be. You are the social worker, the parent, you're the teacher, you're the health nurse, you are, you are everything to everybody, and it is hugely demanding on your time. Uh, and it's up to us to work cross-sector to make sure that we're solving some of these problems because a lot of the problems that we're facing, in fact, there's some research showing that, you know, 60% of the of, of the problems faced in education are actually issues that are outside, like housing, healthcare, um, you know, poverty so we've got a lot of work to do. But when it ministers. comes to your part
0: of that puzzle, for example, schools yep. fundraising so they can have a nurse or some kind of wraparound service, if they're fortunate enough to even be in that position, the constant underfunding, and again, you can call it a comment, but it's been coming yep. uh, com- coming towards us for a very number for a high number of years. The constant underfunding relative to need of special education services, for example. This this is resource. I know it's not always about money, but in this instance it is resource. And the schools are going to go, we love your goals, but how can we attain them when there's the resource yep. gap?
1: And I hear that. And, and I think the comment you made at the beginning of the, of the last um, question you asked me was around, well, how can you do this if you're making all these cuts? I want to be very clear that the reprioritization and some of those cuts we've been asking to make are in the back office. So we are looking at uh, you know, a departmental spend, how many managers, how many extra people do we have working in the ministry that actually uh, we should be redeploying and to meet front-end needs. So that's, that's the first thing. And I've been saying that ad nauseum in, in both opposition and as the minister, that my goal is to make sure that we're meeting front-end need. The one thing that I've learned since being the minister is that we spend a lot of money. We spend a lot of money in this area, and not always effectively. The one thing I've also learned is that we also don't uh, have a lot of data and information about how well these things are working. You know, I see a lot of programs, I ask a lot of questions. How many children uh, is this uh, service catering for? What are the outcomes? And quite often the answer is, Minister, we don't know. So there is going to be, from our government, a fundamental shift in the way that we evaluate what we do uh, and making sure that we are getting good value for money, we're getting the outcomes that we want, and if things aren't working, we stop doing it and shift it elsewhere. So there is going to be a big work program, and we're going to use data a lot more than we have been, and we will be bolstering numbers in the ministry about the people who, who work in those data teams to give me really good, rich information so we know where to put resource. There's a lot of money in special education. The question is... Are we spending it in the right way and are we spending it in the right areas? Because you and I know that the worst thing for a child is sitting on a wait list. We've got to get the right service to the right child at the right time and use a social investment approach to do that, and that is my aim.
0: If you're doing that with a budget that listening to you isn't increasing and we know the push from the Finance Minister is to make savings, what other changes will happen within the Ministry of Education and or other institutions Overseeing the system. Are are you looking at, if not a restructuring, something darn close to it?
1: But there will be some movement around because as we shift back end to meet front end need. But remember, you know, Nicola Willis has said ad nauseum, there will always be more money for health and education and we're seeing that. And I can't talk about the budget process because I'm not allowed to, um, but that has been very clearly indicated to me. I am reprioritising, I'm shifting things around, but I'm, what we're doing is finding out what does not work, what does work and moving it to meet that need.
0: Are you getting the answers you need from your officials slash bureaucracy? Are you asking very specific questions and are you getting specific answers?
1: I'm getting, I'm getting the information that they have. And this is the same across government. There just hasn't been for the last six years an emphasis on evaluation and good data. So when I ask for things, I'm getting the information that is available, um, but it will be our focus to make sure we're putting in place these evaluative frameworks and everything we do, so we get rich data. Because at the moment, you know, you know, minister, here's a, a list of two hundred things that we that we fund, and when I ask questions about well, how many children and what are the outcomes, the answer is that the just information just isn't there. It has to be there, and we will change that because you know, otherwise, the ministry gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Because no one knows what to reprioritise and what to shift because there is no data. So we have got a lot of work to do. Like I'm, not, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's going to be an easy job, but um, you know, this has to happen across government as well.
0: Staying at the primary sector, what do you want to do with assessment? Uh, and again, looking at these basics, looking at how they're currently measured, you know there has previously been a lot of concern. The National Standards uh Framework, for example, a lot of concern amongst teachers at the shortcomings of that given the way children learn, which is not linear and not all at the same time. What do you see as the assessment program? What changes will you be making?
1: Well, if you start right from the beginning, at the moment, schools use a A number of different assessment tools and when we were formulating this policy we read a lot of aero research which has been saying for probably the last 10 years or more we need to have a consistent approach to Uh, assessment. So we're using the same tool across the country because at the moment you've got some schools using AFTL, some using PAT, some using uh, teacher judgement, some using um, another tool. Yeah yeah, exactly it's it's all over the place Uh, and so when children move between schools that makes it difficult. Parents are getting different types of assessment information Uh, but as for me running a $20 billion uh, ministry I need good consistent data so I know where to put resource. I know if I put something in place if it's not working down to a granular level. So, you know, that that's the first thing. The second thing is we want to make sure we're measuring progress. So you mentioned, look, ch- children learn at different t- stages and different times. Yes, broadly they do, and they go up and they go down. I remember my daughter in year three decided to look out the window for the whole year and fell behind and then had to catch up. I understand that happens. But we must have a clear, concise curriculum that lays out every year, here are the expectations of what should be taught and when and in what order. And yes, there will be some children who are learning at different parts of the curriculum, but we expect that their learning will be accelerated if they fall behind. And actually, if they're ahead, that they will be extended. And that's the purpose of a very clear curriculum. And we have to monitor their progress throughout the way, celebrate their progress, but also report clearly to parents. Hey, look, you know, last year your child did six months progress in a year. Something clearly, you know, is awry. We're going to put some resource in, we're going to dedicate, we're going to get them back up to standard because otherwise all that's going to happen is those kids at year eight at the moment that we're finding almost half of them in every subject apart from reading are not at where they should be at curriculum, will continue to happen and then the 15 year olds when we when they're sitting there numeracy and literacy will continue to fail. So we have to be able to put some, some markers in to make sure that we are measuring progress through the way.
0: How much assessment however to get that kind of information at primary level Mm -hmm. and and with huge variations because measure that measure of progress can also be a child who's still behind the average uh, but has come a hell of a long way from a miles back start right so
1: that's why we're measuring progress
0: and how much assessment will that require of teachers
1: Well, at this stage we're saying twice a year. Okay. And look, this is low stakes, light touch check-ins to make sure that children are progressing and that we catch them before they fall and that's what parents want to know. Most schools already are doing twice yearly assessments. Some are doing a lot more. Uh, You know, PAT used to be a once yearly assessment and schools started using it twice a year to measure that progress. And so now uh, PAT, um, NZCER are moving their PATs so that they are available twice a year. So... We, they're already shifting to the demand. We can see that, but we just want to make sure it is the same consistent assessment across the country so that we have clear, uh, concise information so I know where to put resource, and parents know where their kids are at.
0: Curriculum, it's just been through a multi-year review, reached the first stage of a consensus anyway. How much change are you anticipating? What are you, where are you heading
1: with that? Well, i put my ministerial advisory group together and they're working on that at the moment. I did give them instructions that we are to keep uh, broadly the same layout, the same structure. We don't want to shift too far. There's a lot of great work that's been done already by principals and teachers across the country in giving their feedback. Uh, What we are doing is making sure that it is internationally comparable, that it is knowledge-rich, that it sets out year by year the core content knowledge that must be taught in which order as well. So that the scope and sequence is there, especially in literacy and in mathematics. So we are just making sure that it is uh, fulsome. And a lot of the work hasn't already been done in the English curriculum and that, in that year-by-year year, or the phase-by-phase phase guide. So so there, there, I expect there'll be a bit of work there. It's not going to be a major departure from what was already done. We're using that as a base and just making sure that it all uh, aligns.
0: we focused a lot on primary, that secondary um Pisa, of course, the the results, the international comparator, has been falling for years. We get some principals saying, actually, our kids barely pay any attention to it. You know, it, it's testing differently from the way we now teach and assess. Is it still fit for purpose as a measure of secondary performance and how we're doing?
1: I think it's been a vital tool. It's been a good wake up call to us because without it, what do we have? Yeah. You know? Uh, we almost said nothing. We've got NCEA, but NCEA, uh, as you know, uh, has not been preparing our kids, which is why we've had to put in the literacy and numeracy co-requisite. PISA is the honest tool that tells us actually, relative to other countries, and not only relative to other countries, but in terms of just our own performance, we are sliding. And you saw, I think there was an article uh, in the paper out last year after the uh, results came out that, you know, compared to 2003, we're a year and a half behind where we were in, in literacy and two years behind in mathematics. That is a monumental slide. And that's why I have been focusing so much in the primary school uh, area because we have to, and that's why I've said 80% of kids at curriculum by the time they finish year eight, because you know, it is, it's really tough on our high schools right now to take kids at year eight who are hugely behind the curriculum and then get them to pass NCEA. It is a massive ask, and those, those principals you know, do their very best. But we have to make sure those, those young people are prepared by the time they hit high school uh, to, to experience success in NCEA.
0: Those schools that are pausing NCEA Level 1 assessment that say there's just too much assessment, they're not even getting through the curriculum because of the volume of assessment. Do you support that? And second, do you have any reform plans for the way NCEA is happening?
1: One of the goals of the NCA that I the change package that I absolutely agree with was the stripping back of all of the assessment in fact in, in all of the number of standards that children were young people were sitting, I shouldn't call them children they are fifteen. Um, my daughter would hate that um, but you know there, there was far too much assessment going on, and the NCA change package was to strip that right back, and I absolutely agree with that. The way, and I've said this many times and I'll say it again, the way that we rolled out the change package was back to front. We did it when we introduced the NCA, we didn't learn our lesson, we did it again. We rolled out NCA and the standards, the assessments, before we put the curriculum in place. The curriculum is supposed to drive the assessment. Now we're back to where we were, where the assessment is driving the curriculum. So when I came into office last year in December, I was horrified to be contacted by Teacher, uh, sorry, student associate, uh, sorry, uh, subject association. So the mathematics and the science association saying to me, we have no idea what to teach. We've got these standards, but there are no learning objectives. We we literally don't know what to teach because the curriculum, there is no curriculum, and. We don't know what to do, so very quickly over Christmas, I said to those, all of those uh, subject associations, "I know it's short notice, Would you please be able to do a piece of work where you put down you know all of these learning objectives uh, so that you know then they're now available? Some of them we're going to need to continue to work on, but in, in, for the most part, they're very, very good, and they'll support teachers. But the point is that the NCEA change package was rolled out too quickly. The exemplars weren't going to be available until May, halfway through the teaching year, on, on what you know, achieved merit and excellence looks like. We've now hauled that back. Many of them are already available, and they will be all available by the end of this month, early next month. Uh, so we've had to come in and then backfill what has been uh, a rushed process. No wonder there were schools who pulled out and just tearing their hair out. Um, you know, It's not been well rolled out. It was rushed by the previous government, and now we're trying to clean up you know and do our very best to get uh, teachers what they need
0: just very quickly on school buildings look it was a shocker this morning to hear about a a, a a high needs unit at James Hargis with with water falling down on the kids basically but but actually that is not an uncommon situation around the country with failing buildings and also with growth areas saying if we don't build a school now or have one underway for 5 years time we're going to be in stock <laughs> Twenty major projects just paused due to costs or "quote unquote" reprioritisation. Is, is that a concern to you? Are you aware of that? Have you signed off on that?
1: <laughs> well, I'm aware of it. I've spent the last three months a little bit like an investigative journalist. Me and my my uh, ministerial advisor, getting to the bottom of what on earth is going on. This is purely operational. I'm not signing off on every on anything uh, to do with school property. This, you know, and I think the journalists and and me are going through the same. Uh, process of how on earth has this happened we have raised expectations we've got huge pipelines of expectations that have been raised and an inability to deliver on that teamed with uh, uh, poor communication to the sector and so uh, Is there just know,
0: not enough money i mean construction costs what are they up 30 forty percent since the pandemic well, a- a- and and is is that the bulk of the answer
1: well, that hasn't helped, of course, and then you've had all the flooding and the Auckland floods and the, and the cyclones that, that has added uh, extra pressure in, as well. But you know, I've sat down with the team, and you know, part of the problem as well is that you know we uh, spend a lot of money on fancy architects and planning and designing all of these bespoke uh, blocks, and then. The costs blow out, and we turn around and go to the school oh gosh we 're really sorry three years down the track after all this planning work you've done, but we now have to rescope because it's massively over budget um, you know it, it is and it's part of that is the, uh, the increase in costs of building but part of it is because we are building these extremely bespoke classrooms rather than just going, look here is option a option B and option C we want a warm, dry, safe, usable space that's light um, and and, and it meets the needs of teachers and learners uh, and is cost effective. Now, the ministry are now looking at doing that. But over the last six years, you know, we haven't been doing that. So there is there is a lot to get to the bottom of. And I've already had many, many briefings uh, with officials. And I have spoken to principals as well uh, about these issues. Um, you know, I, but what
0: do you say to I've that principal to... right now then with, with the worst situation? And, and that's not the only school. But what do you say to them as of today is going to happen?
1: Well, what I said to the principal of KIPRA was this is not meeting my expectations. It doesn't meet the expectations of the ministry. Uh, And we are working on a plan at the moment to make sure that we are building cost-effective classrooms so that actually we can build more classrooms uh, rather than very expensive blocks at the expense of other schools. So there's a bit of work going on. I am going to have more to say about this in coming weeks because we're just going through the final stages of, of planning around this. But it has been... I mean, it was a massive shock, to be honest with you, to come in last year to find out that there's a a whole list of schools who uh, have had their expectations raised, have been going through processes for years, to find out literally a week before things start that it's not going ahead. So we've got a bit of work to do in this this space.
0: We'll come back to you, Ovid. I do appreciate your time this morning. That's Erica Stanford, who is the Education Minister.